John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Entry 546.MikeKilo0639. Niner. Niner. Certificate number 31632. Grass. It would shock you to the things we used to do on grass. 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 Well, we've done the other two. We've done gas. Yeah. Okay. Have the, we done? We've done everything. Have in we done oil. ass? Well, we did Icelandic incest. Oh, okay. And we gas, did, grass, or ass? We, so we've covered both gas and ass on the show. Although you know the the more polite way of uh, or the later bumper sticker was grass, ga- grass, gas, or cash. Although uh, cash doesn't rhyme. I feel like you just need to find three words that convey those three things that actually rhyme. Yeah. Without getting. But I'm glad that they got the, uh, the 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 prostitution angle out of the out of the bumper out sticker. Of the bumper sticker. But that was part of the. I mean, if you had a if you had a Dodge van with with uh, little like spade shaped windows in the back, what are you going to take? I guess I guess everybody. I mean, cash talks, right? Nobody rides for free. Yeah. Uh, no, this was this would be about actual. Grass, grass, yeah. Not, not uh, what the furry freak brothers would call marijuana, but grass. You're talking about grass. I'm talking about lawns, lawns, John. grass, and also the grass of the prairie. I'm guessing. Yeah. Wh- well, what do you think about grass? What do you think about grass? You you just recently bought a new home. Does it have a lawn? It does, but I want to take it out. I do not like grass. You Sam want I am. N- you want you want no lawn at all? No. The last house I had had a big lawn. And it was a maintenance headache. It was it was full of moles. And you get molehills. You get moles. In Seattle, it, it, it turns into moss under the shade of the trees. Which I loved. If it had just been moss with no grass, I would have been fine. That's what we should have. We should replace all our grass lawns with just uh, you know a third of an acre of moss. Yeah, the problem with the moss is it dies. But the, in Seattle in the summer, the grass dies. That's the funny thing about our local culture is the people here pretty much don't water their lawns. Right. We don't, we're, we're against it. We let them die. And then in the fall, your, they return. Your lawn turns brown and everyone's okay with that. And you kind of, if your neighbor has like a beautiful green lawn right next to your brown lawn, you, you feel morally superior. Yeah. You snub them, snub uh, them at the country club. But, but, uh, but also I've, I've been led to, to believe that grass is bad for 
just bad. It's generally bad. The gas, the lawnmower fumes are bad. The cultivation of the grass is bad and that we should all have gardens made of ferns. That's what we want to examine. Yes, exactly. Let's, let's bring back fern fever. Fern fever. We should, we should have more fern fever, not less. Uh, the United States right now is kind of gripped by lawn fever, I think. Is it? Like our equivalent of, our equivalent of fern fever is people wanting their beautiful, lush lawns to show off their affluence and their station. And if you don't show sophistication with the intertwining tendrils of something on your William Morris wallpaper. In the desert Southwest, like New Mexico and Arizona, they have a lot of those white rock front yards. The new fad is Xeriscaping with an X, hmm. uh, which means, yeah, Zera meaning dry. So like landscaping that can do okay with whatever the local water constraints are. And in the Southwest, that pretty much means no water. Right. You want colored r- rocks and a few succulents. Yeah. But I, you know, I don't know, when I visit my wife's family in Utah, like my father-in-law is very dedicated to his huge lush lawn. And he's one of these guys who would never have a single clover or dandelion to offend the eye. Does he have a little tractor? He has the little riding mower. Like ever since my son was little, he got to ride on grandpa's uh, riding mower and mm-hmm. he loves that so much. Um, but yeah, this is this is essentially a hobby for him, his full time. He doesn't have kids at home, but he cares for all the the hundreds of thousands of blades of grass in front of a mine house. And it's really a, a part of the world where the weather is dry mm-hmm. and the water tables are draining mm-hmm. and maybe it's not, uh, the most sustainable choice. Ecological. To have this lush green carpet as far as they can see, but it feels so nice well, under your bare feet. Where did this grass fascination come from? I don't think of, I mean, I guess of an old manor, uh, in, in, uh, in olden times, did they, they had big grassy lawns, didn't they? They did, but they were essentially meadows. Um, um, you know, a medieval landowner or castle, you know, if it were surrounded by anything like a lawn, it would just, it, today it would look like a meadow to us. Flowers. Wild and flowers and so forth. Wild grasses. It would not be any kind of, you know, manicured carpet. Uh, I think that's something that came in in the 17th and 18th centuries with the uh, the French gardens. Oh, okay. You know, uh, the... The the kind of the kind of thing you see around Versailles, yeah, where there's a kind of a geometric perfection of squares and odd shapes, and so they're carved into plants where you can do that in little low hedges, and I think that's when very manicured grass became decor or landscaping. Because grasslands are a major feature of of a uh, uh, wild environment, but they're not much like our lawns. You know, uh, when you think about what the American plains used to look like, at least for the last 10 to 15,000 years, you know, any place that's too dry for forests, but too wet for desert becomes a prairie. And so in these states that are in the rain shadow of the Rockies, you don't get trees growing, but you get an amazingly complex biome, the, the tall grass prairie. Uh, and this is what was in the new world before, uh, white people showed up with their grass tastes. Uh, tall grass prairie literally is tall. You know, it doesn't start out tall, but over the year it grows and grows and grows until by September, October, you were in eight feet of grass, eight feet of grass, eight feet high, whoa, taller than a man. And, you know, and this is incredibly, you know, analogous to the Amazon rainforest, I think, with the complexity of the insect and bird and, and animal life. You know, the deer and the antelope play mm, and did. something like 30 to 60 million bison uh, trampling it down. Uh, I guess that's why they were evolved to get so tall. They needed to see over the grass. 
Oh, the super tall bison. Yeah, the yeah, ten, yeah. ten foot tall bison. Bison would have been little like corgi sized, except for the fact that they kept getting stepped on because they couldn't see over eight foot grass. So well, they, so now I have a, a whole different impression of the Native Americans following the bison. It's kind of like when the moose get up on the railroad tracks. <laughs> it's it. the one place that's plowed enough that you could see you could see into the distance. And uh, a lot of it's underground as well. You know, like uh, I think the, the bulk of the biomass of the prairie, I was actually underground roots and rhizomes. Oh. So there's this whole world going on that you wouldn't even have seen. And it's almost all gone. It was 170 million acres of tall grass prairie. And now as soon as uh, settlers arrived, you know, first uh, white colonizing folks, they realized this incredibly fertile soil, in addition to sustaining this complicated ecosystem, could also just grow stuff. So they just plowed it all. And does it have enough water to grow the things that we like to grow, like Oreo cookies and Cheetos and stuff? Well, it grows the corn syrup that right. flavors your your Oreo <laughs> cookies and your Cheetos. So does corn, is corn, does it require a markedly different environment than tall grass? I think the soil was so good it was perfect for corn. I mean, the irrigation issues aside, you know, you, you need more regularity Right. When you're growing corn. But, it, you know, it was essentially perfect for that. And that's why there's so little of it left. 4% of the tall grass prairie remains mostly wow. in the Flint Hills of Kansas, which were, and in other isolated preserves from Saskatchewan all the way down to Illinois and Missouri, just and where it was too rock, too mountainous to, to, to plow. Were, were, are you, are you describing that grass environment as kind of a single organism? Or what was the interconnectedness of the rhizomes? Such that it um, that it constituted like a like a great aspen. I don't think so. No, uh, you know, there's complicated interrelations between you know the different uh, gra- the different kinds of grass. But they weren't intermingled. The species. But no, I don't think the great the tall grass prairie was all one grass god named <laughs> Milton who achieved sentience just as it started to get scythed by. But- by the first Laringles Wilderses. But some some of uh some of we like whole earth catalog types start to think of ecosystems as being organisms. Sure. Yeah. It's Gaia. That's not wrong to that's think right. of it that way. That's right. You know, it's it's an abstraction that's useful to us. Um but you know, during the Jacobian period, these uh the kind of that the, the French gardens, the green carpet of Versailles moved to over to England, and that's where all the great, you know, the great landscape architects were British. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to a park anywhere else in the world besides pretty much America. Not a whole lot of grass in the great parks of Australia or Mexico or, you know, you go to a city park and it's kind of Spain. It's 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 dirt under the trees. Yeah. And and, and that's what and, people like. Paving stones and, and benches. And people come here and it's like a theme park to them that we've, you know, covered everything with this amazingly candy colored, beautifully soft grass everywhere you know it's it's like it's like somebody from the soviet union seeing a picture of an overstocked american grocery store you know and just you know thinking i want to go to there marveling at the grass you know the grass is a huge part of the 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 allure and the draw and the mythos of of kind of suburban america that we spent the 20th century beaming all over the world through our entertainment uh but uh it's not actually you know there have been some trade-offs as you might imagine in covering so much of america with lawn. I think the primary trade-off for me is that at least in the Northwest, a lawn is useless. I mean, if you go sit in the grass, 
in Seattle, your pants will get soaked. You get so wet. At any time of the year, really. Our, my car always has a waterproof blanket in the back because anywhere we go, we want to sit on the grass just to do anything. You know, when the kids were little, the kids running around, the dogs running around, read a book, whatever it is. You can't sit in the grass. No, and I don't know wh- what what part of the what part of America can you go out and just sit on the grass and not get wet. I guess other parts of America. I guess all the places Ohio? where you know the sprinklers come on at night and keep right. the grass growing, and then as soon as the dawn disappears with or the the dew disappears with the dawn. The hot sun dries up all the grass, and then you've got this amazing. I mean, there's nothing better than walking on soft grass and bare feet. Yeah, right? that is pretty nice. If it's the right kind of grass, if it's that weird, you know, if it's that weird Kentucky that, bluegrass that, or whatever, or that yeah, that's kind of spiky grass that every lawn in Florida is. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's the kind. That's the problem. You're looking for species that are uh, soft. That are, uh, but you want one that's resilient and doesn't take too much water, and, and so you wind up with something like that. Kentucky blue, but that's all over the state of Washington. And that is not a local species. Bluegrass. Yeah. Like that's, that's an invasive thing, which is another issue. Anyway, the reason why lawns did not take off in older times is because of how labor intensive it was. Even if you were wealthy enough to have a lawn, you needed to be wealthy enough to have people to scythe it. Right. Guess when the lawnmower was invented? Uh, I, I'm guessing it's the push mower and I'm going to say 1889. Uh, the, that's actually not quite wrong. The first, yeah, they were not powered until very late in the 19th century. Um, in the 1830s, a British man named, I think his last name is Budding, which seems like a funny name mm-hmm. for the inventor of the ironic name. Uh, he observed, a in a textile mill, a machine that had been invented to kind of shave the nap down mm. on, on cotton fabrics, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause you want the, the, the rug or whatever to be all the same height. So this thing would go, and he had a vision of what if you could do that to a lawn? What if? Because until then, nobody had thought of doing that to a lawn. It was just a bunch of people with scythes. Uh, seems dangerous if nothing else. Right. Well, I'm just wondering why, how, how the... The genius carpet manufacturers invented this and didn't, and we weren't just walking on scythed carpets. They're just siloed. They didn't think. You yeah. know, they weren't like, this could be grass. They think of everything in terms of carpet. It's like the Department of Biology and the physicists. They're <laughs> having lunch in a different lunchroom. I think you'd also think about death more if there were constantly people out with scythes just going whoosh, 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 every could, time you walk down a road. Could you think about death more? Uh, I personally couldn't. Yeah. But back then, I mean, there's probably more people dying. Well, sure. That's the thing. Th- that would also help. Right. You had 14 kids and only three survived to adulthood. And then you see somebody with a scythe and you're like, you're like yeah. Come see, on. Not anymore. It's a little, it. little on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash 
iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. So, but once once lawnmowers were invented as uh, you know a more accessible, less labor intensive way to have grass in front of your house, people liked it because it feels nice on your feet. I never scythed the grass, but definitely when I was a kid, I was given the job of of cutting our grass with a with a hand. You mower. had an unpowered handmower. Oh, for sure. For Those, years. They just don't work, right? There's a wonderful picture of me at about age seven with my full weight behind this this push lawnmower just like and you know the handle is up above my head i have my <laughs> arms up in the air and i'm just putting everything i have into this thing no it works i mean it, if you keep the blade sharp it'll cut your grass that's why we give those kids those little fisher price um corn popper things oh right it's to train them to mow the lawn get when they're ready. older. get used to pushing around a thing that doesn't want to go on the carpet um but so the dawn of the lawn may meant that uh you know, surprising amount of America is covered with grass, a plant that maybe shouldn't be there, um, maybe not the best use of the water or the space. You've mentioned the pollution used to cut it. What is the what is grass? The plant. I mean, where does it come from? Like green grass? It's just grasses. It's just normal grass. Yeah, it's I mean, the, it, it, it would be the, the it's prairie grass. It's just you cut it down. You cut it shorter, and oh, and there are breeds that have been bred to be more. You know, decorative, the right. right height, green, delicious. Yeah, the the red fescue is the uh, is the red delicious of the grass world. Uh-huh. I think that's what a lot of our lawns up here are, and that's native, actually, unlike the the Kentucky bluegrass that you often see. But until recently, nobody really knew how much of America was covered in lawns. Like we we were not aware of the ecology of our lawns because they come in such small chunks. You don't think of it that way, right? Um, but in the 1990s, uh, a woman named Christina Milesi came from her native Italy to study at the University of Montana. And so she's in, in these dry Missoula summers. Uh, you know, the mountains turn brown, everything turns brown. Uh, and yet all her neighbors would have these beautiful bright green squares. And coming from, um, you know, a godforsaken place like Italy, she she was not used to the lush uh, underfoot grass of an american lawn right every every she was delighted uh, by it every uh, abandoned lawn in italy has some ruin in it <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you don't mow your grass yeah, you can't mow the grass with a lawnmower because you'll hit the old roman temple That's or right. whatever i mean th- there people would if they had a patch of of uh flat ground outside their house it would be dandelion and clover and whatnot oh or tomatoes perfect right. yeah or you could, you could have flower or vegetable garden yeah. but the idea of having just this perfectly manicured patch of of nothing of green void was was just caught her eye it feels very levitt town yeah the conformity of it is probably a big part of what drives it right yeah a, a neighborhood uh, where you're in competition with your neighbor for uh the the immaculateness of your yard and and, and it is a sign of kind of post-war wealth yeah if that's the uh, the platonic ideal the perfect flat green plane then everyone's just approaching it and uh, and you show your care and attentiveness to your property by getting as close as you can to the perfect flat green plane. Right. I had a my parents had a neighbor in Utah who just uh, they could have landscaped their enormous acre lot in any way they chose, and they just wanted a flat lawn, just going back from the house as far as the eye could see. And did they utilize it? Did they play lawn darts? Did you they could play croquet, croquet? I guess. I mean, honestly, the rise of sports is kind of a big part of this story. I mean, one, I think one of the things that, that Budding immediately saw when he thought 
you could trim grass to the same height is tennis. And that would be good for tennis and croquet and cricket. You know, he sees the sporting applications until you have activities that need to take place on flat ground where a ball must bounce or roll evenly. You don't think much of, you don't, you don't think that a, a flat green plane is the platonic ideal. You know, the, the English romantic gardens, they were, they looked like nature tamed, you know, they would have little fake ruins and temples and they would have little fake dells and the the flower patches would look like wildflowers. I mean, you were kind of trying to convey that this is what the wilderness could be if, you know, if it were just a little more beautiful. When I'm, I've kind of traipsed across the United Kingdom and the... Were they okay? This is before the no traipsing laws were passed? No, no, there were, there were definitely signs that said traipsing allowed. Please uh, traipse. But the, the, the way in which central southern England is manicured to look wild is really astonishing. There's not an inch of it that hasn't been cultivated at some point. And a lot of it has been cultivated to seem like a natural... It's like Disneyland. Yeah, it really is. It's fascinating. Uh, the... Um, so Christi- when Christina Malasi arrives, she's never, she's never really thought about lawns. She has to do a... Uh, an e-business proposal to get her, her degree or whatever. She has to invent a fake business that she's going to market online. And she sees people just, you know, the rain will come, you know, storms come through Montana in the summer. And after a storm, people's sprinklers would go on and she would think all these people are watering lawns that don't need to be watered. I will invent a service that tells people when they don't have to water. So just as part of this hypothetical business, she starts thinking about the water use issues and the land use issues and the ecological issues that come with a country covered in lawns. And later in her life, you know, and she, so she, this starts to become her area of study. She starts focusing on lawn ecology. And it turns out nobody has studied this. There's no, she wants to know how much of America is covered in lawns, in grass. No idea. Like hmm. n- no government agency can tell her or has even thought about this. So she starts to do the work. She gathers, the first thing you would do, you try to gather, I guess, aerial imagery and try to estimate how much lawn there is. And it's just too, the patches are just too small right. to pick out and, and total up. So that turns out to be the wrong way to do it. Um, she finally hits on an ingenious algorithm. It turns out that the amount of lawn in a place is always in fixed proportion to the amount of impervious surface. Interesting. Pavement. Like parts of the world with no pavement also have no lawns. But if you're in a part of the world with pavement, you can be sure that in proportion to the pavement, there's also a certain percentage of lawn. In America. Yeah. And uh, this probably is not true in non-lawn countries. Uh, but in America, at least, no matter what metropolis you look at, she finds that in her sample sizes, impervious surface correlates perfectly to a certain amount of lawn. And what is the proportion? I think the equation is kind of complicated because uh, in urban areas, there's actually a phenomenon where as impervious surface increases lawn area decreases. Oh, I see. But she came up with a equation that expresses, that seemed to perfectly describe in her sample set that relationship. Because cities typically expand outward and lawns increase relative to to impervious surface. And yeah, so they can like, be like taken a, together. Like a, a downtown that's almost 100% paved is going to have... Suburbs. In a, in yeah, a, that have less pavement but more lawn. Right. Uh, 
and uh, and it turned out impervious surface is easier to calculate because there was an existing equation relating impervious surface to brightness of nighttime lights. Uh-huh. You know, because parking lots and roads and sidewalks, these things all are lit at night. Right. And there is government data for how bright, you know, different geographies are. So you can use brightness at night to produce a number about impervious surface and then get the number of lawns. So she was able to crunch the numbers and she finally discovered how much grass there is in America. And the number uh, astounded her. There is three times three times more American service area is used to farm grass than is used to farm corn, our number one crop. Really? There are four is about forty nine thousand square miles of lawn in America, an area that's about the size of the state of Mississippi. Imagine if lawn had any other use. Right. That's the thing about corn. It produces corn. It's a cash crop. Uh and lawn looks pretty to the eye of somebody who has been trained to think that lawn looks pretty and affluent and makes you makes your pants wet it makes your pants wet if you sit in it but you can play tennis as someone who's tried to play tennis on uh open prairie it's a (laughs) terrible environment yeah that's why you never see any great tennis players who uh came from the tall grass prairie of the 19th century right the ball just gets lost Mm -hmm. on every serve Mm -hmm. uh and so she's just fast she knows she now sees that this is enough of a area that this is a meaningful ecological thing so she starts to compute how much water it takes to water america's oh boy here 50, we go. square miles of lawn uh it turns out to be uh somewhere between 180 and 230 gallons uh of water per day per person what? in america 300 gallons of water a day yeah that's if you make sure that every lawn is well watered Every day, uh, you know, well hyphen, not watered, not watered from a well. Hmm. So 200 gallons per person per day. That seems to be like a third of all residential water use is now going to lawns. That's insane. And this stuff wouldn't grow otherwise. She looked at what parts of America could sustain this kind of grass uh, if we weren't just irrigating the hell out, basically structuring all of our cities and our infrastructure around making sure that this useless crop stays nice and green. Where could it grow? Georgia? Almost nowhere. Like there's a, there's a small belt in the Northeast and in part of the plains and that's it. Those were really the only parts of America that could have lawn. Could have green grass all year. You mean? Uh, Because we grow lawn here without doing anything to it. Right. But only for, the months that you wouldn't want a lawn. Right. And, I, and I'm sure what's, what's she's t- keeping into account is that a lot of places like us are not doing it with native grasses. Um, oh, I see. Like grass is an invasive species. You know, a lot of America lawns are rye grass that comes from Central Asia. A lot of the West has Kentucky bluegrass. Uh, they shouldn't be here. And they, they can force out native species as they mm-hmm. start to take over, again, 50,000 square miles that, that should be something else. So if we dug up all these grass lawns, there would still be enough grass that had gone wild that, uh, that we can't now eliminate Asian ryegrass from the American ecosystem. Right. It's here to stay. Like uh, these, these have taken over in the same way that we just don't talk. We don't think of them as invasive plants the same way we think of carp kudzu or carp or blackberries or zebra mussels. Um, 
Christina Malesi is, is now a, an ecological forecaster for NASA, to whatever extent NASA is still allowed to do ecological well forecasting done. in our era. Um, and she continues to study like this incredibly understudied chunk of ecology, which is our biggest crop is grass and no one is talking about the impact of it. And does, uh, does she have like a, like an opinion? Does she have a, is there, does the science then encourage us to, to chart another course? Yeah. I mean, the, the science tells you, for example, what to do with clippings, you know, like at least these lawns are a carbon sink, right? Oh, but if you put all your, uh, clippings in a big compost pile that makes m- as much methane as anything else, then you've actually done net harm. So what are you meant to do with your clippings? Uh, hand mower's best. If the clippings lie where they fall, you know, something about the way that, something about the, the, cause you know, fertilizing the, all the lawn fertilizer we use is a big problem too. Right. So the, you know, the nitrogen you can keep in the soil by letting the clippings fall where they may, uh, actually does a lot of good. I think she would recommend using gray water for lawns, Right. you know, instead of, what we currently do now, which is pump drinking water, 200 gallons of drinking water a day onto some of these lawns. Um, I've seen different uh, remedies for this. You know, we talked about xeriscaping where you just, you know, a lot of our idea that law, affluence equals lawn is learned. You know, yeah. if all the nice houses in town actually have these cool little rock gardens and cacti and, and, and climate correct shrubs, then that's what everybody would have. Right. Um, so cities are getting in on this. Uh, Mill Valley, California recently passed a law saying that new builds or remodels can only have 500 square feet of grass. Like they've just limited the size of lawns. You can only have a tiny lawn. A tiny little decorative lawn in the front. Yes. And, you know, that that's enough for whatever, you know, to let your toddler mm-hmm. traipse around in and not enough to destroy the earth. Have you seen the artificial turf trend? Have you seen houses going up with... Two houses in our neighborhood have recently dug up their lawns and put artificial and put in artificial turf. turf. I have seen it because artificial turf has improved in quality to the degree that you would have it in your lawn and it doesn't look like astroturf. You often do have to take a second look. You have to step on it, yeah. basically. But uh, but it seems like, again, what are you doing <laughs> on those lawns? Is it is is it? Have we gotten to the point where it's decorative uh, and and decorative enough that you want to put down a plastic lawn? Why wouldn't you put down a little, a little bridge over a fake stone river and a, I mean, I guess maybe, maybe a natural, to create a natural environment from a landscape architecture perspective might be more expensive than just stapling a plastic sheet that looks like grass down? Sure. You're going to have to call somebody and draw up plans and tell you which species go where and how you're going to have to take care of them and which soil is too acidic and which soil is too alkaline you know here somebody just shows up and lays out a sheet of this stuff it looks pretty good but you know when you step on it you can immediately tell it it, it has all the kind of weird weirdness of lawns and that again you've you own all this expensive real estate and you want it to be a green rectangle without any of the upside it's not soft to step on it's not cool like they absorb a ton of heat mm-hmm. so you're actually not getting you don't have to mow it that's another huge impact of lawns is that the um the air pollution of your mower or whatever else uh, the use of electricity in an electric motor. Yeah, yeah. The use of electricity undoes any net oxygen that your lawn would be giving back. So a lawn is always a net harm to the environment if you mow it. So wow. these artificial lawns, you at least don't have to mow, which is nice. 
Um, are they an impervious surface or do they let water through? I, I think the new ones are supposed to let water through. Um, cause otherwise, yeah, like you're, it's, you essentially just paved your house with all of that implies, but you're getting some of the thermal properties of it as if you had just paved your backyard yeah. for sure. I mean, I mean, living in Seattle where literally everything grows, if you don't cut it back, you know, you do see, a, I see a lot of people doing kind of fun, unusual things with their yards. Tall grass, really. I mean, you see some, you see tall grasses. I would have that if I weren't allergic to tall grasses. Oh, there's a hay fever issue. Yeah, there really right. is. And there are a lot of things that, a lot of things I can't have in my garden. Uh, there's, and, but a, a, a mown lawn is okay? Well, uh, Or there's just less of it? A, a mown lawn never- It, it doesn't go to seed, It right? never goes to seed, so you never get the pollen, you never get the, it just stays it doesn't this- sporify? This little- it doesn't. No, it just stays this little thing. And the thing about Seattle is you don't have to mow your lawn from uh, really from June to October because it just dies. Uh, so and, and you can't mow your lawn in November, December, January because it's, it's just soggy. Mud. Yeah, like uh, like moss. So there's only a couple of months in the spring and fall where it's even mowable. So it doesn't even make sense here. Makes it, it makes zero sense. And the only reason that I what kept do you propose? a lawn. What do you propose as an alternative? I am hoping. So I learned the other day that if you put down 12 inches of wood chips over a lawn, it just does away with the lawn. And the wood chips gradually turn into dirt, ch- chippy dirt. And my my hope is to do away with the lawn and then gradually plant native trees and bushes and shrubs. I mean, I would love it if my property was just a Douglas fir forest. It's going to take a while. It will. Yeah. The but futurelings lot- will have been to the, the Douglas fir forest that was your homestead. The Roderick f- uh, fir forest. But you will never, you will never live to see it. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's musicians. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start a lot of people i think also believe that a lawn is a way to bring sunshine into your property because you're clearing away all the all the the shady trees and and turning it into this sun-blasted um, well, vacation we're, we're place. We're so sun-starved here yeah. that really any building project gets met with, but my, but will I ever be in the shadow of it? You know, like the, our light rail stations can't have tall apartments around them because the residents are saying, I'll be in the shade and I can't have that here. Yeah, what's nuts is I, I the, my new house is very much a, a, a shaded forest environment and a couple of people close to me have been like, wow, I couldn't live in the dark. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We're in the dark here. Uh, I'm just behind some, uh, behind some leafy 
a little bit of a leafy wall. You're a shady character. I am a shady character, and I don't want that sun beaming in on me, bleaching my my fabrics. Uh, my wife's brother-in-law, uh, when he moved up here from, I guess, uh, I think somewhere in the southwest, Utah, I think, he had the exact same problem where he just felt like he, he was surrounded at all times. Like there's a very claustrophobic feeling to all these trees. Yeah. You know, this guy just wanted to see the horizon in all directions at all times, like the suburbs where he grew up. And he could not psychologically hack the fact that vegetation would be looming near and over him in the Northwest. I'm kind of like a fern. I'm very popular with young women. I'm kind of a faddish collectible. You're feathery. Uh, I'm a little feathery. I'm, I wouldn't describe myself as moist. You have a sexually complicated life cycle. I do. I thrive in a moist environment, I guess <laughs> is what is what I would say. And uh, and if you try too hard to collect me, you may fall to your death. Not me. I'm a lawn. Yeah. I'm a flat gray rectangle, <laughs> flat green rectangle, just trying to approach perfect flatness and perfect greenness yeah, every you, day. You put more pollution into the environment than than whatever benefit you add. And that concludes Grass. Entry 546, Mike Kilo 0639er. You're crossing I, your arms. You don't like this new fad. Are you Are you starting this up? Is I'm this going to stick around? No, I don't think so. I'll forget it the next time. I mean, it's good to help you remember the NATO phonetic alphabet. Right. Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo, Foxtrot, Golf, Hotel. India. India. Uh, Indigo. I think it's India. India. Lima. Mike, November, Oscar, Papa, you Quebec, sk- Romeo. Did I skip something? You skipped J. What's J? Oh, Juliet. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was Oscar. You skipped that, I think. No, I said Oscar. Oscar, Papa, Sorry. Romeo, uh, Sierra, Tango, Uniform, Victor, Whiskey, X-Ray, Zulu. What about Y? Oh, y- y- Yang Z. Close. No. no. <laughs> Yankee. Yankee. Yeah. There you go. Uh, this is certificate number 31632. In the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at Omnibus Project. Our handles on social media were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. But we leave it to you to guess which one is which. Occasionally on April Fool's Day, we will take over each other's accounts and tweet for the other. Can you imagine how few faves I would get for my completely (laughs) punless Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah, you can have my 40 faves and I'll get your 1,400 faves. Why is Ken suddenly just showing pictures of leather belts? Yeah, Ken has gotten really boring. Uh, I'm also on Instagram if you want to see pictures of leather belts. Uh, and I am at John Roderick there. You can email us. Uh, and your email will be read by Ken, if not answered by him. If you make a show suggestion. I've been answering the email. I, ca- I caught up. Yeah. Oh, you're such a dutiful son. And you uh, don't know the password to the I email. do not know. I'm the wayward son. I'm the son that, that drives an El Camino that everyone goes, well, he had a lot of potential. It's because you've got uh, Mass Romantic by New Pornographers running mass through your head all week. Mass Romantic. It's like having a migraine. I can't read the email. I've got mass romantic in my head. I I can't get it out no matter what I do. Well, you've passed it along to the future now. I I should go listen to um, the new romantics 
and see if they can blast it out of my head. They, that's, that's what you need. It's like getting the, the rabbits into Australia to kill whatever. The, yeah. the snakes need to kill the, <laughs> the rabbits. rabbits to kill those rabbits. The carrots, the invasive <laughs> carrots were all over Western Australia Murderous. until rabbits were introduced. Uh, please email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Um, please support the show. We, um, we do not fund the show exclusively on your Patreon contributions. We will be taking advertisements of a, of a kind, but we hope not to take any invasive advertisements for like red fescue grass. Yeah. Right. Or, uh, or, or zebra mussels. Hey, come on down <laughs> to Bob zebra mussels. Uh, make sure you use your promo code omnibus. Yeah, sprinkle them get, in your ponds and rivers to get 10 free mussels. Uh, but if you go to Patreon and, and uh, express your appreciation for the show by contributing some nominal amount, or if you are able, greater than nominal amount, it's still nominal, right? It still is. You can name well, it. I guess it's numerical. <laughs> uh, it's go to, numerable. Go to patreon.com slash omnibus project. If you're a higher dimensional being who can provide an infinite number of money, mm. like a Hilbert uh, space number amount of money. That would be perfect if we could cancel the ads. Yeah, if you're a young incel who uh, spent all of his lawnmower money on Bitcoin back in 2011, why not kick us over a couple of coins? If you're a young incel who week. just killed a talk show host, you're probably the Joker, and uh, you're probably busy with that. Please don't do that. I've, I haven't seen the Joker yet. I have no. I don't have a hot take on it at all. Perfect. Um, our fan group on Facebook, which is otherwise a desert, not even decorated with white rock, but our little Facebook community is a natural garden of abundance with all native species. Every once in a while, there's an invasive species. But usually it's just, it's beautiful. Koi ponds and wildflowers. It's It's, lovely. It's curated by, uh, by a collective consciousness that... Ex- eliminates all foreign spores. It's inoculated against bad guys. It's bucolic. Uh, our Reddit group is similarly uh, full of smarts, full of uh, smarties who are there. But and, and I think probably compared to a lot of Reddit fan groups, there's a there's a, a dearth of negativity there. Yeah, it's better than Reddit to the nice. same degree that the future links are better than Facebook. It's nice. People are people are there being smart and clever and uh, talking about ideas, which is what we like to encourage. You can mail us actual things at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Ken, do you have something interesting from the mailbag? Do you know what Carl just sent us? He Carl, sent us Carl just sent us a $2 bill. I have a small collection of those. What's the date on it? I just realized I have no idea. Do you not know where to find the date on on a bill? bill. Come on. No, it's not on the back. Yeah, 1776 is when this this engraving of the Declaration of Independence was sent. Oh, 2003. There There you go. So it's a fairly recent $2 bill. They still make them. They do? Yeah. Still make them for grandparents to put in Christmas cards and for wags to use to pay for things. I had a good luck one that I think my great-grandma had sent me on a birthday, uh, God rest her soul. And uh, the problem with the $2 bill is... You know, you just have one of those in your wallet with a bunch of ones. Right. And I'm sure at some point I spent it on something that was $1 and it got accepted as a $1 bill. The problem from a retail standpoint is that in a cash register, you have a slot for a one, a five, a 10, a 20, and then 
other. Where do you put a two in the other? Uh, well, no, you put it under the, you put it under the the um, the cash drawer mm. in the spot that you put other things. Like I don't know, you, people don't take um, American Express travelers checks anymore. I don't know what goes under there. Canceled checks? Who uses a check anymore? Canadian money. Yeah. Uh, Carl also sent us his grandfather's pen holder. Huh? Oh, it's a like a marble desk. It's very heavy. So just sending this to us in the mails cost seven or eight of these $2 bills. It's to his grandfather, Bill Wells, for long-term and dedicated support to the Shrike Missile Program. What? Uh, apparently his uh, his grandpa worked on the Shrike Missile, which we mentioned in the uh, Palmdale entry. Interesting. And even more interesting, this was given on February 29th, 1980. So uh, leap year, the second leap year, the second February 29th of my life. He really, uh, he really was there. He's there during the times. Yeah, without, without Bill, perhaps no, uh, perhaps no strike missiles. And if no strike missiles, no, I don't know what. Well, if no strike missiles, then probably the Soviets would have won the Cold War, and we would all be living in a uh, in the in a gulag in the USSA. This <laughs> this penholder preserved uh, democracy for all of us. There's no pen in it. No, but that's the beauty of it. You could just put whatever pen in it you wanted. For example, here's a pencil that has um, thing one and thing two from the cat in the hat. Why do you have this? Uh, To teach my daughter that uh, even if she does have a star on on her belly, that she's just as good as Nietzsche as uh, anybody else. Well, now this pencil fits perfectly into Bill's pencil holder. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. When will our lawns be overgrown by uh, ivy and toadstools? We have no idea. We hope and pray that the catastrophe fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, however, this very recording may be our final word to you. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another thrilling entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>